I always tell people internships are great, but don't work for free. And what I mean by that is if you're getting experience, if you're getting networking, if you're getting knowledge, that's not free. But don't work a job where you're standing holding a cable all day and you have no idea what's going on. Select CT. What's happening, digital media fans? This is the Select CT podcast, where we talk about the digital media industry in Connecticut. I'm David DeRoche, and I run the podcast program at Quinnipiac University. And this podcast is a production of Digital Media CT in partnership with Quinnipiac, the University of Connecticut, and the Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, sound, how to create it, how to use it, have fun with it, and maybe even make a career out of making noise. Sounds pretty cool to me. Here to make some noise about sound are two people who know all about it. We have Select CT's own Justin Matley. He's a freelance sound designer and re-recording mixer for broadcast, advertising, and the film industries and podcasting, obviously. Welcome, Justin. Hey, and we also have Chris Argento. He's Vice President of Audio Post-Production at WWE. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Nice to be here. Awesome to have you. I was going to try to do my best WWE uh, announcing, announcer impersonation, but I would probably fall all over my face with that. So I'm just going <laughs> to avoid that. Let's get right into the, that all day long at work. Oh, I got it. I can only imagine. Chris, I want to start with you. Let's talk just about sound as a thing as it exists within the digital media space. Talk about you know, how it's used. Are there cool things that are happening now with audio and, and sound that, that weren't around maybe 10 or 15 years ago? What, what's this, the ecosystem of sound like in digital media right now, where you are? It's pretty much everywhere. So our, our particular product is very uh, intensely graphic-based. So it, it's a very shiny project, pro- product, if you know what I'm saying. It's, oh, yeah. uh, uh, and it's, it's very dynamic. Our, our TV shows... Um, and, and I kind of blur the line between when we talk about digital media, our TV shows are digital media. Right. I think, I I don't know that, you know, the, the term old school, uh, long format television is really that different anymore. Um, instead of it being absorbed into digital media, it's just become part of it. Right. So for instance, all of our television shows and there are, I mean, we're creating, you know, domestically, uh, eight hours a week of, of programming just, just for our quote, long format television shows on USA network on, uh, Fox sports and, uh, on our, our, our own over the top network. But the lines between them have become completely blurred because there's media from one project in, in, you know, from one show into another show into another show. And all of it kind of comes together in the, in the Facebook feed and the Twitter feed and, um, but what we're doing right this minute, this podcast is an example of audio probably, you know, uh, being one of the largest parts of media these days. Absolutely. You know, and I wonder, you know, whenever I watch things on TV or on the internet where there's some graphic elements and there's this incredible sound design behind it, you know, it always fascinates me, like the, the partnership between the sound designers and the graphic artists. And so, you know, the graphic artists are, you know, creating these really fast moving images and, and then the sound designers are coming in with these, you know, awesome sounds that match that. What is that collaboration process like? Are you, are you sort of like saying, Hey, I got this great sound. Can can you like incorporate this in your piece or are you getting that visual image and then you're saying, Oh, I know exactly what that's going to sound like. What's that process like? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, We do quite a bit of that. We do a lot of these campaigns that the graphics department will do for our pay-per-views. 
for instance, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, things like that. So the past couple of years, the the uh, WrestleManias have been out of Tampa, and they've done this Buccaneer-themed graphic treatment to everything. So the 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 footage is a lot of ships and and you know tall ships and masts and storms and things like that and cannons firing. So that was all designed ahead of time. In a case like that, where it's sort of somewhat literal, we're we're designing to what's there already. Right. So, you know, if if there's a ship in a storm, we're building the storm, we're building the ship and the creaking of the wood. But what we can bring is the creaking of the wood that the graphic artist never really knew whether or not it was going to be there. Mm. And the best part of it for me is the graphic artists coming in after we've done our, our first pass on it and watching it down and listening and the big smile on their face because, you know, it brings it to life. It, it brings everything to life. Without the sound, it would just it would be some incredible graphics, and we have some really really talented graphic artists. But there would be that you wouldn't feel it; you just don't feel it, and it can really pull you in and and make it almost more three dimensional uh, in terms of even though it's not in three D, it just kind of puts you in the place that they were thinking of when they designed it. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said you can really feel it, and details like a creaking wood when you see the ship is probably something that, like you said, that you might not think about as a visual artist. You're just thinking about, you know, the design, how it looks. But when you hear that wood, that it creates that emotion, right? If it creates that 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 deeper connection to this thing you're seeing. And I find that, you know, listening to podcasts, the same kind of thing. You know, whenever the producer incorporates really detailed sounds, you know, you the, the listeners are really brought to that place in a much more uh, personal way than just, you know, the story being told to them. Like all those little detail sounds are really incredible. Uh, Justin, you know, in your work as a freelancer, talk about that bit of it. Talk about finding those little details, finding those little moments where you can add um, some sound or, or like a specific sound that really sort of brings something uh, to life. Are there examples that you can recall in your work where you were like, you know what, I'm going to add this thing here. And it just really tied all that stuff together or just, or if you want to speak generally about that, tell us about that process of finding those sort of sounds that really just elevate that story. Sure. So, um, just to riff off of what Chris was remarking on, the collaboration is so important. Um, it's such the crux of, how we can elevate the product in the end. Um, and part of our job, a huge aspect of our job is diagnosing the needs of the client, whether that be the editor or the creative or the producer or the graphic designer. Um, describing sound is is interesting. And for a lot of people, for sound people included, sometimes it's a challenge to describe what the needs are when it comes to sound. And oftentimes when you hear language used for sound, it's a very much visual kind of language, right? It's, I want something to sound warm, I want to sound heavy, or I want to sound harsh, or I want to, you know, and these are all useful adjectives to describe the needs or the goals of a project. But when it comes to sound, it's our job to sort of sift through that, sift through what the mind of the project is and figure out how can we choose sounds that not only accomplish the goals on screen, which is the foundation of what we do, right? We are supporting the things that we're watching on screen. But also on top of that, it is to add our creative twist in such a way that brings our visuals to life in such a way that does not change the overall 
tone or the goals of the artist, but to take it to another place. And that can be accomplished any number of different ways through different sound choices that are perhaps more subtle, whether it be fine details, whether it be ambiences, whether it be through use of effects, whether it be different reverbs and delays and EQs. There's lots of different tools that we employ to sort of support and bring to life what we're watching on screen or what we're hearing in a podcast. And in that case, the visuals is one's imagination, right? And, and I imagine that, you know, when, when you're when you're doing this stuff, to your point, you know, you know, there is a subtlety to that process, right? So it's not it's almost like when you when you're watching a movie and you know the acting is terrible, you notice it. But when you're watching a movie and the acting's great, you don't really notice it. And and it's kind of probably this I think it's the same with sound. Like if the sound fits and it matches everything, then then it's kind of unnoticeable, right? It just makes sense. But if you make some small choice like, you know, maybe it's the wrong, you know, reverb or wrong delay effect, or maybe the, the, the creaking wood sound sounds like the wrong kind of wood or something, right? It can throw everything off. So I, you know, that pro that to me, I mean, we're kind of getting into the weeds on this a little bit, but, but yeah, I love it too. Cause I feel like those are the kind of things that really, uh, will elevate that, that image or that, that piece that you're working on. Well, yeah. Any editor or director who, you know, has been doing this for a while, knows that an audience can accept compromise visuals, right? There are there are, are movies like Cloverfield, for instance, is framed around awful looking video. It's meant to look like it's shot on somebody's phone the entire time, right? But if the audio is thrown off, people will be turned off instantly. And why it works is because, because the audio works. So people will be turned off much faster if the audio is wrong than if the visuals are wrong. Right. Not, not to get too far into the weeds, and I know that there's a lot of topic to cover. There's two questions that happen when, when we are presented with something new visually, uh, especially from a graphic standpoint. For instance, recently my team was given a, a series of, they're calling them icons. They're these little uh, little guys or, or transitional elements that, that fly across, you know, our, our product is often arena-based. They fly across the arena and either reveal information or sponsors or whatever. So the, so the two questions are, how big is this thing? Because depending on the camera point of view, it could be really small and you zoomed way in, or it could be really big and you zoomed way back. So depending on how it's going to be used is what you have to design. You have to design a, a large object moving or a small object moving. And the, the other question is always, what is it made of? Is it made out of, is, is it solid steel? Is it like an aluminum chassis you know uh is it you know kind of like a like a robot-y kind of thing or is it this big heavy solid steel beam and and those are where we get to make some decisions that bring the the video to life i i think that's incredible i mean i don't i don't imagine most listeners who might have some you know small interest in sound maybe they're podcasters or maybe they've done some sound on some video work um you know, you know, thinking to that level of detail, but I feel like when you are doing this work and you are able to imagine that level of detail, it's just going to, it's going to help your product soar. Cause, because those are the things that, that you, when you get down to it, you really do think about that stuff. Then you really are going to think, okay, how is that thing going to sound? I mean, I, and, and this is the, I'm also learning as well. Like thinking about, you know, listening to you talk about, you know, this, this, this uh, icon that's flying around, like tomato what size is it i mean <laughs> for me that's like that's so cool because that that is what brings it to life and i feel like you know we're again we are sort of deep in the weeds but but i feel like 
if if listeners are ever considering a, a career in digital media and, and working with sound, I mean, this is like this is the good stuff, man. This is this is this is the kind of thing you would think about to really make your product uh, pop. So I encourage listeners to consider this to to think about all these details if they are going to pursue a career in sound. Um, Chris, let me ask you just generally, let me back up a little bit and get out of the weeds for a second and just talk about the industry itself. Um, what do you feel like the industry is doing now or what, what sort of things um, exist now that are opportunities for uh, young people pursuing a career in the sound field within the digital media space? What are some things that that you feel like there's demand for? Is it live sound? Is it production sound? Um, what sort of stuff do you think there's a demand for? Uh, well, currently, I mean, what we're doing right now, uh, podcasting has become oh yeah has exploded. This is a, a a big chunk of of what's happening is media based on the internet that's collaborative from from many places. So there's that. There's live production. Yeah, there's media. Um, Everyone is making media on their phone or on their, you know, any sort of camera that they might have. Um, and I think they're starting to finally look at capturing media with better audio, which, you know, for a long time, the magic was, oh, look, it's, you know, it's an iPhone, it's HD, it's, it's beautiful. And my, you know, my company had actually done an experiment a couple of years back with recording a show on iPhones. And the problem is always, the audio is just horrible. Mm. So, so people, you know, while they got out of the gate with, wow, I can record HD on my phone, you can record HD on your phone, and Justin can record HD on his phone, and we can do a three-camera shoot right now. Well, you really can't. Right. Because your audio is going to be terrible. Right. So, so, so that's the companion to the what they some people call new media. It's just a newer form of media is people are starting to step back and say, okay, maybe that wasn't a great idea. We need to think about the sound. Right. So live production sound is absolutely a big part of this. And that's a whole other like ball of wax. I feel like we could spend an entire episode just talking about live production sound. I mean, I'm sure our listeners have come across a video of their favorite band playing live and like, oh man, this this is that, you know, that I heard about this concert, I heard it was incredible. And you start watching it and like, oh, this is not so bad. And then you the, the, the music starts to play and you're like, oh my God, this is awful. <laughs> to your point, you know, there there's such a disconnect, it seems like, in consumer ability to record solid video versus the ability to record solid audio. And again, that's that's probably a whole other conversation. Justin, wonder what your thoughts are on that. So I started in the industry um, right around the early 2000s. Um, and, and there's no question that since then, the technology has become more widely available because it's cheaper, it's more accessible. Um, the use of the tech, you know, it used to be that you had racks and racks of outboard gear that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now we're using plugins on our laptops, you know? So there's no question that that has opened up the pool of people who use sound, who work with sound one way or the other, um, is much, much wider. But in the end, it all comes down to the user, right? You need to know the proper way to use those tools to accomplish the audio goal in the end. And the only way to do that is to work with people, do apprentice, do internship with people, um, to hear what sounds fantastic and learn why it sounds that way. Now, there are certainly opportunities now to make good sounding stuff from your phones. There are external microphones that can be used. There's, there's different interfaces that are affordable. 
um, that can be used and will sound really good for the vast majority of the work that folks are doing nowadays. But this is why networking and using your ears and taking classes is so important because really the end game is, um, is the user. And I feel like that's probably good advice for any industry, right? Is that the tool is only as good as a user. If you got a you know fifty thousand dollar recording setup, but you know you don't know how to make music, <laughs> I don't know how valuable that recording setup is going to be. Um, Chris, just wondering about in a post COVID world with more remote working taking place, how how has that shifted, if at all, the process of of recording or doing sound for WWE? There's a whole nother group in the company of, of our TV production people that uh, are out on the road, right? We're still making wrestling shows. We actually never stopped, but we did stop having an audience, which you've seen a lot of sports do that. <clears throat> and um, and we, we began uh, creating audience from, from library of sound that we had and had built up over years and years, which we used to use to embellish the audience but it suddenly became center stage. And uh, yeah, the guys on the road just did a phenomenal job of building. You know, we sent them a lot of our, our library and they built up uh, a, what people are calling a shot box. You know, when I do these kind of things, we generally use samplers laid out on a keyboard. I think they were using uh, Ableton Live or something like that. And uh, yeah, that became the audience. So we would have audience on screens using a third-party company where people would dial in and be in the audience. And you've seen this at other games as well, I'm sure. But one thing you really can't capture is high-quality sound. So we would just take our our audience from past um, and put them back in the arena and have them reacting to things. And and it, it worked. I mean, it worked pretty well. Uh, and you've seen football games where they're just kind of smearing in you know, last year when, when during COVID was, uh, th there was really no audience in the place to be had, but you heard, you know, 50 or a hundred thousand fans screaming. It was kind of odd to me. Right. Well, hearing it and not seeing it, <laughs> right. it, it, it was just, but in our situation, they were able to, and, you know, look, when, before we had an audience, we didn't do that before we had a visual audience. Right. So, so there's, there's a correctness and there's a correct way to do it. And a not correct way to do it, in my opinion, they have to go together. You see people, you can hear people. To hear people without seeing people was just a little weird. A little awkward, yeah. I agree. So what, what has changed? So during that time in post-production, we were working a lot from home. So we, we put uh, setups together and, and, uh, and connection and uh, you know set up a, a share server where we could push things back and forth quickly. But truth be told, we do a live TV shows, so we were in the studio, and we were we were very COVID safe. There was you know one person per room. The the place was scrubbed top to bottom day and night, and we all felt pretty safe with that. So we had people going in through the entire pandemic, but just in a much modified fashion, right. And I feel like that piece of it is kind of interesting how the different um, sports companies were dealing with the lack of crowds. And, you know, it seems like were you guys, do you feel like you guys were were prepared in advance because of the uh, the level of attention you pay to what the audience involvement is, um, or as opposed to football where the audience is background and, and you know, the, the sound producers might not even 
consider what's going on with the audience. But in your case, I feel like the audience plays a much more active role. Do you feel like that positioned you guys to to better shift uh, in post COVID with the product, the sound production stuff? Absolutely, uh, undoubtedly, we were completely prepared because this is something we've dealt with and something we've done. You know, we we've had to replace entire audiences at times when you know, say there was a, a problem in the arena where there was a horrible buzz or feedback or the audience maybe chanting something that we didn't want to put on the air. Right. Um, we would replace that. And so this is something we've had experience with for for the 26 years I've been there. We, you know, it was a regular part of production or of post-production. That's wild. Just to jump on there really quick, you know, pre-COVID, I would say 20% of my work or so was from home. I mean, I have a pretty good rig at home. I have a room isolated out that's built out. I keep my equipment updated, you know, so I was pretty well prepared when things change. Obviously, during March and April, there's a lot of question marks about what was going on. Um, and Plastic WWE was able to adapt. They're constantly on the forefront of sort of how the industry is changing. And I can speak from experience working with them that they're always sort of on the forefront of changes in technology. And, um, you know, so companies that were able to adapt and to be versatile uh, were able to hang in there. And for a person like me, just most of that work got moved over from home. You know, so it's just sort of a shift in mentality. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about this and Justin, you just mentioned it, you know, having your, your setup at home, you know, ready to, to sort of shift to a full-time at home work. Um, and certainly, you know, and, and Chris mentioned this as well as, you know, technology is, is improved and, and over the years and accessibility has increased and costs have gone down. Where are we now, Chris, just in terms of like, say I'm a recently graduated, you know, maybe I've recorded some, some stuff with my phone, but maybe I want to step up my game. What are the options for that person who might be under a budget, but what kind of, what level of quality stuff can they be expected to produce on a budget these days with the available technology and if you're on a budget? Well, I think that really depends on what format you're talking or what type of mm. thing you're talking about. So if you're looking to do documentaries type work, um, you can, you know, if you're looking to do to be a recordist or a, a location sound person, all you really need is is a reasonable setup with a couple of lav mics and a boom mic. Now, you'll need some software or a device like a sound devices or something like that that'll record multiple channels. Or you can start smaller and just use a stereo device and get small gigs, learn how to mic people, learn how to capture good sound, and also learn how to capture nat sound, ambiences, things like that, mm -hmm. uh, to fill in the gaps. You know, being uh, my my specialty is really post production. I've had some experience in 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 production work, and uh, but I've had a ton of experience downstream capturing you know getting things that were captured poorly, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and sound where people decided to record next to the HVAC unit. Oh man, I've been there. Yeah, and and it's it's difficult and. I have a luxury in that I can address the producers. We, we're kind of all serving the same goal, which when you have a company like ours is a big plus. I can, I can go into the production meeting and, and say, hey, guys, I want to talk to you about not recording next to the HVAC. And then, right. then they understand. And, and, uh, but often when you're dealing with clients, you know, they have a production company that might have been hired, a hired gun. 
and they're, you know, they're dealing with their budget and their talent and their location and everything else. So you can't really go back to them and say, hey, you know, you made a mistake here. But what you can do is you can offer some advice and say, do you hear this? Well, it, you might do better if you weren't, you know, next to the generator. Right. Uh, I will do my best to get that out, but, you know, and maybe next time they'll think about that. It's, it's a difficult situation to navigate when you're dealing with clients. See, the wonderful thing about being in-house at my place is there's no clients except ourselves right. and our sponsors. Now, sponsors are, are, are in a whole other ball of wax, but we offer a complete creative suite for the, for the sponsors. If, once, if someone advertises with us, they will write commercials using our talent and they will shoot the commercials and it's all one big umbrella and it's, it's a wonderful process. Um, but the days where I was doing commercials privately – it's not so easy to tell people that they've made a mistake or, or that they could do better. You have to be careful about how you negotiate that. So now that I've gone completely off point, and <laughs> the question that you asked me is, I'll, I'll go back there because I just realized I was so far from it. You, you can get yourself a reasonable setup together, get some work, um, and don't pigeonhole yourself. Do a lot of different things. Try some, some documentary work. Try some ad work. Try some promo work. Uh, things like that. And for post-production, it's a tricky thing to to grab some software and a small sound effects library and call yourself a sound designer. Uh, it's really, it doesn't work that way. I would recommend trying to get some level of internship or assistant position if you want to go that route, because you really need some mentoring, whereas some things can be discovered on your own. No, I mean, you know, I think you, you you made a really good point earlier. You were talking about those little level of details. And I feel like even if you are listening to this and you don't want to pursue a career in sound, that knowledge is going to be extremely helpful if you are recording next to a generator or an air conditioner. Because if you at least can think about that stuff, you can avoid having that conversation later, even if you never get into sound. So I think that that's super valuable information. And also, it, it's something I tell my students, you know, I, I teach audio storytelling and advanced podcasting you know, the importance to capture the sound where you are and being able to incorporate that in post-production is super important. So just recording everything, right? Just recording as many things as you can. Um, and it's just so you have it. It just helps incredibly when you're, when you go to do that mix. Uh, so we got to wrap this conversation up, but I want to give you guys each an opportunity to just give, um, you know, some students or some recent graduates, some tips, um, where should they get started? Uh, Justin, let me start with you. What do you think if somebody wants to get into sound, what, what should they uh, what should they do first? Yeah, you know, I don't want to recycle all the other podcasts and talk about going to trade events and watching YouTube and all that other stuff because all that is it's self-explanatory and is very important. I think there's one little tip that I always give, two actually. One's obvious, I think, and one is sort of a little strategy. Um, I always tell people, you know, and certainly during COVID, I think people were hungry for connections with people. So I always recommend, hey, you know, if you're interested in sound and there's a show you watched or a film you watched and there's a scene that has really interesting sound, uh, just go in the credits and find who worked on it and then find them online, find where they work. Everybody's access to LinkedIn. Everybody's got a website. If you can't contact them directly, contact the manager of the facility or whatever and say, hey, you know, I'm a graduating senior. And I was watching this film that was worked on. I would love to talk to the sound designer and see how they came up with 
the ideas for the sound. You're not asking them for a for a job. You're not asking them for an internship. You know, you're asking them just, hey, I'm interested in what you did. I would like to learn about it. Oh, I love that. So I think that's a really nice way in to meet people who, when you feel like you're on an island into yourself and you don't know any people because of networking has been challenging the last year and a half. So that's number one. And then sort of the other one is just being a good person. You know, it's, it's, uh, I think more than anything, when people graduate, they feel as though they're just not prepared for anything. And I was one of those. But the people, when you get hired or when you get your first opportunity at a place that has mentoring sort of philosophy, they know that. And your job is to be helpful more than anything. And if you showcase that you'll work hard and you'll be helpful and you'll show up on time um, and prepared, then people are going to want to work with you. You know what I mean? And the skills come as you progress. But if you're always being a good person and trying to be the level-headed person in the room, people are going to hire you again. You know, I think that's, that speaks a lot to to uh, any industry, right? It doesn't matter how super talented you are. If you're not easy to work with, people are probably not going to work with you. So I think that's, that's probably great advice. And also across industries as well, to your uh, advice of reaching out to somebody in the credits and just saying, hey... You know, how'd you do this? I think anybody would be flattered to to get an email from a, a recent grad or a student or you know somebody in the industry early in the industry, just curious to 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 learn about that. That's that's flattering and, and it's a great way to make contacts. Uh, so great advice, thanks, Justin. Uh, Chris, what what are your thoughts? How what can what can somebody who might want to get into the industry do if they're just starting out? So I was fortunate. Uh, I came up in the '80s. You know, I started my career in the '80s, and. Uh, I started out wanting to be a music mixer and quickly learned I didn't really care for the music industry. But post-production was still a, a wonderfully creative, uh, slightly more gentlemanly industry where I, I found a mentor and I learned quite a bit about sound design from a man named Dick Maitland, um, who was the uh, original sound effects Foley artist on Sesame Street and still is there. 53 seasons later, I think it is. Whoa, that's amazing. He's been there since 1969, episode wow. one. Uh, but n not to go off on a tangent. Oh, that's incredible. So, yeah, so you have your degree and now you're looking to work in the field. I always tell people internships are great, but don't work for free. And what I mean by that is if you're getting experience, if you're getting networking, if you're getting knowledge, that's not free. But don't work a job where you're standing holding a cable uh, all day and you have no idea what's going on. If you think there's something there for you that you can you can garner knowledge or something to help you, then go crazy. Uh, and if you're the right person, as Justin said, and you have the right attitude, when there's a paying gig, you're going to be the guy they call because now they know you. And they know that you're reliable. They know you're going to be on time. Um, they know you're organized and they know that you know what you're talking about because you've worked with them before. Connections are everything. And, you know, not that we should, uh, you know, become phony people, but we should become friendly people and, you know, reach out, things like that. Uh, but like I said, I, I don't believe in working for free and that doesn't mean money. As long as there is something there for you, really there for you. If there's some, a process you've never seen, if you want to get on a Foley stage, offer to, offer to work for free at the Foley stage a few times. Not forever, 
but but you do it and you say sure i'd i'd be happy to to move props around clean up whatever that's that's something that people some people are enamored with that um or an adr stage see all that get done go on a couple of shoots find a production company often production companies um will sub out their sound but sometimes if it's something very simple they might have a sound kit and you might volunteer to run it if it's a single boom mic you know you you can get some chops on lower budget things where you can you can be a part of that get to know people and get to know your way around a boom mic um you know don't don't limit yourself try everything and you might find there's things you know when i like like i said when i came out of school i i wanted to be in the music industry and i said you know after a year or two of trying to pursue that i was like eh, i don't know you know it just wasn't for me especially in the 80s when you know the the music industry was different in the 80s it was less of a business and more of a click uh now it's it's pretty much strictly business i think although i'm not really inside it but so yeah so do everything you can that that's my advice that's great advice for for any field and and i think the idea that you know if you're doing inter- an unpaid internship to your point you know some people might think oh that's that's not worth my time but if you are able to shift your mindset and consider exactly what you're saying what am i actually gaining what is what is the benefit right what is the actual thing that i am getting paid in is it knowledge is it connections are those things going to be available to me then it's absolutely worth it and i feel like we could talk about this for another half an hour especially foley which we didn't even really talk about uh, which i think is one of the coolest things out there which is making sounds uh, using other things which is just so cool uh we do have to wrap this up unfortunately but thank you guys so much for joining me i want to thank justin matley and chris Ar- Argento for talking with us about the audio industry and its place within the digital media ecosystem. Thanks guys for joining us on Select CT. Absolutely. My pleasure. Select CT is a podcast production of Digital Media CT in partnership with Quinnipiac University, the University of Connecticut, and the Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Digital Media CT. That's Digital Media underscore CT. Tell us what you think about our show. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow me on Twitter at SavingEJ. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other apps. If you want to learn more about the digital media landscape in Connecticut, visit digitalmediact.com. The producer of Select CT is Justin Matley. Matt Warwood is our executive producer. Our marketing coordinator is Marvin Lewis. I'm David DeRoche. Thanks so much for listening. Now get out there and make some media. Select CT.